Good morning from Sanford Christian Church. This is Pastor Jeremy, and today God speaks to us from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We continue to hear the Christmas story according to the angels. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Mary's trust in God is mesmerizing. This teenage girl is a shining example of faith. The angel Gabriel comes to her. This is one of two angels named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. We do not know how many angels there are, but in several places it speaks of the host. So I think they're certainly accurate to say there's many. We also see that they have different jobs or roles listed for different angels, and so there is vocational distinction among them. Michael is identified as the archangel. His role is generally more connected to combat. Gabriel is always delivering messages. The Bible speaks of the seraphim and the cherubim. The seraphim, whose name means burning ones, continually dwell in God's presence and burn with holy brilliance. The cherubim, whose name some say means guardian or to hold fast, seem to operate like royal guards. They're depicted on the the Ark of the Covenant or on the doors of the temple. It's also the cherubim who guards the temple of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are banished. At other points in the Bible, the writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also call angels watchers, the mighty ones, the host of God. God gives us these little glimpses, and angels can be fun to think about, but there's also a danger in becoming infatuated with them. There are a lot of books and teachings out there that go way beyond the Word of God, teaching a whole lot of things about them that we simply cannot know. So stick to what God chose to reveal in the Bible. The one thing we do know about them is that they always serve and point to and worship God. So we are really missing the point if we ever put the main attention on them. So Gabriel tells Mary that by the power of the Holy Spirit, she will bear the Son of God. He tells her some spectacular truths about Jesus that we need to embrace today. This angel introduces Mary to her son, who she does not even know exists yet. As we think about who Jesus will be, I pray that Gabriel's introduction of him will strengthen our faith to better know and follow him. The more we know about Jesus, 
the more we know we can trust him. The angel tells Mary to name him Jesus. The name corresponds to the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, and it was a common Jewish name at the time. After the Christian church became widespread, the usage of the name decreases. The name Jesus in Greek or Joshua in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. In the Old Testament, God used Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. And now Jesus, the true Joshua, will lead all God's people to the eternal promised land. We were lost, wandering in the wilderness of sin until he came and showed us a better way of loving God and loving others. He died to pay the penalty we deserved and rose again from the dead to take you and me to the promised land. He was born for a purpose. You'll always miss the point of his birth if you don't connect it to the death and the resurrection. He was born to die, to rise, and to lead you to the promised land. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, it's straight. He, He says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he was born. The angel tells Mary that her child will be great, that he will be the son of the Most High. Now, I think this is probably the most spectacular, difficult to grasp part of the whole thing for the young girl. The child inside her is the son of God. He created everything that exists. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when God says, let us, as in plural, not I, but God says, let us make man in our image, This baby inside of her is included in the us. He is God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. God has revealed himself as one God in three persons. Each one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, possesses all that makes one God. If beheld individually, they are God and they are unified. They are one God. Now, if you say that blows my mind, is beyond my ability to understand, then I would say, good, you're starting to get it. When I would worry is if someone says, oh, I completely understand it. Jesus will come into the world, both fully God and fully man. Mary will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. A child's essence is seen to be partly from the mother and partly from the father. You will generally see some features of each child, each parent in a child. In this case, the mother is a virgin. It is God who is the father of the child. Jesus bears features of humanity from his mother and the features of God from his father. He is fully God and fully man. He is the son of the Most High. Next, the angel tells her that God will give her son the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, this is a big point of the prophecy concerning the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. King David was the greatest of Israel's kings, and we heard all about this in our last sermon series on King David, but God made a covenant with David and that his kingdom would last forever and that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. But David had no idea that that king, that descendant, would be God himself or that that kingdom would be inhabited by people from all over the world, not just Israelites. This prophecy caused a lot of confusion throughout Jesus' ministry. To the very end, many people wanted to rebel against the Roman Empire, to reinstitute an earthly Israelite kingdom, and to be and to be its and for him to be its king in Jerusalem, just like David was. What they missed is that Jesus wasn't supposed to be another King David. Instead, he was supposed to be a greater King David. Not just slightly better. 
David was a signpost pointing the way to a much greater king. David's kingdom was only a shadow of what Jesus' kingdom will be. Jesus' kingdom will have no end. It will never be overthrown, never conquered, never fade away. There will be no succession, no need for an heir. Because Jesus will be our king, the king of all kings, forever. And when the angel had said all this, what was Mary's response? She says, how can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, I think this is a faithful response. She's saying, okay, I believe it. She just wants to know how it's going to happen. She's assuming it will be true. She's asking, what's the plan here? Compare that to Zechariah's response when an angel tells him that his wife, which is Mary's cousin, will have a child. In Luke 1.18, we saw this last week, he replies to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. So he's not asking how it will happen. He's asking God for a sign to know that it's going to happen. He doubts the word he is receiving. He isn't sure it can happen. Now, when Mary trusting that God will do all that he has said, asks how, Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And then he ends his response with this, for nothing will be impossible with God. We need to just stop for a second and let that one soak in. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, this isn't a truth simply for Mary. It's a, it is still true today. Gabriel says to you, for nothing will be impossible with God. What do you fear? What have you refused to try? Who have you not reached out to? Where have you not gone? All because you thought that's impossible. If that's you, the angel of God says to you, for nothing will be impossible with God. He does whatever he pleases in the heavens and the earth. When he promises to do good to you, he does it. Now, sometimes it's hard to see out to the end of our trouble. It's hard to see past our pain and through our stresses. Sometimes none of it makes sense, but know this. Jesus has come. He is the Savior, and he is making it all right. Everything. He's fixing it all. He is the Son of the Most High God. He is the King of Kings, and his kingdom is forever. In time... We will move past our pain, our sickness, our financial troubles. We will walk past our naysayers and attackers. And we will know that all the times we felt like it was never going to end, that we thought it was impossible, that we couldn't see a way forward, we will then be able to look back and know that God always makes a way because nothing is impossible for God. So at the very end, after the angel has introduced her to her son, after he has tasked the teenage virgin to, to give birth and raise the most important, most glorious human to ever live, she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Let it be with me according to your word. For Mary, this announcement that she will have a child is not an answer to her prayer like it was for so many other women. Instead, for Mary, this prophecy is a big problem. God is not delivering her from a storm, but he is driving her into one. He off, we often discount any possibility that, that 
causes pain or bad as God's plan for me. This can cause us to miss God's direction for us. Since when has God ever said there would be no sacrifice, no narrow path, no discipline? He has said the opposite. Do not fear, fear the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because God is with you. He will take you through the valley because the mountaintop is on the other side. Now, my challenge to you this week is to memorize those words. Let Mary preach that sermon to you every day. Make it your daily prayer to God because that is the heart of faith. Here I am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Take these words and ponder them. Speak to them into your current situation. Speak them when you are troubled and when things are hard. Speak them when you're tempted to stray from God. You know that he loves you and when, that his word is good for you. So let it be according to his word. We can say those words and be at peace. Because Jesus came, he saved us, he healed us, he empowered us, he does the impossible. Let it be with me according to your word. Thank you so much for listening to Stanford Christian Church. Once again, I'm Pastor Jeremy. You would go visit our website, www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. You can learn more about us as well as clicking that Contact Us tab. Let us know you're listening, how we can pray for you, and how we can serve you. Once again, that's www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. Also, come join us in person, 10.50 a.m. Uh, we are... Uh, is our that's our worship gathering time 10:50 a.m. We are on Main Street in Stanford, Kentucky, right next to the courthouse. Uh, come visit us 10:50 a.m. Our worship gathering every Sunday morning. Tonight at 6 p.m. at Stanford Presbyterian Church is the Christmas Community Choir. Uh, the members of that choir are primarily made up of Stanford Presbyterian Church, us uh, at Stanford Christian Church, as well as New Beginnings United Methodist Church. There may be some other community churches. But they, uh, members of the choir predominantly come from those three churches. We love these opportunities to cooperate with our brothers and sisters, even across uh, those denominational or uh, church membership lines. And so uh, we're so excited about this time. It's going to be a great time uh, of being focused on Jesus in uh, through our lessons and through the carols that we're going to be singing. If you love Christmas music, this will be a great time uh, fellowship with believers from uh, different denominations and different churches here in Stanford. Once again, that's tonight at 6 p.m. Stanford Presbyterian Church. Come and join us. Have a great week. Love God. Love others and tell somebody about Jesus.